Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 139 of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Today on the show, we've got Rebecca Wiggins joining us, and she is the Executive Director for the Association for Financial Counseling and Planning Education, also known as the AFCPE, which is a nationally recognized leader in financial counseling, coaching, and education. And I think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. Rebecca talks a lot about all they have going on here to help the community and increase financial literacy. So as always, we hope you guys enjoy this episode, and we hope you learn a lot. Before we get to that, though, we want to take a quick moment to thank some of our sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that's going to start with FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market, on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent, through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And our last sponsor is Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus. And their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. And Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to join like-minded businesses to raise money for great causes, participate in large-scale volunteer efforts, and improve educational opportunities for youth in our community. To get your small business involved or to learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That is smallbizcares.org. Finally, if you've ever wondered what it takes to start your own podcast, we're here to help. We're putting together a podcast startup package with our recommendations and some of the key lessons we learned over the past two years of podcasting. You can sign up by heading over to our website, conqueringcolumbus.com. And while you're there, don't forget to give us a like on Facebook, and be sure to subscribe and share Conquering Columbus wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Today on the show, we're really excited to have Rebecca Wiggins joining us. And she is the Executive Director of the Association for Financial Counseling and Planning Education also known as the AFCPE, which is headquartered right here in Westerville. We're really excited to talk to her about everything they've got going on. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Rebecca. 
Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and appreciate you coming in short notice. I know it was uh, same day. Uh, we're excited to have you here, though. And normally kind of where we like to start this off is actually kind of kick it back a little bit. Talk to us a little bit about your career before the AFCPE and what led you down that path. So maybe any important milestones along that point, childhood, growing up, whatever you want to talk about. Okay. Uh, my path is pretty windy, so I'm finding more and more people that I think can relate to this where, you know, I think as a kid you think you're going to pick a career and that's going to be your, you know, your pathway forward. Um, my interest as a child, I think both has come to sort of merge together with what I'm doing now, but um, I would never would have imagined that this is what I would be doing or the type of work I would be doing, and I'm sure you hear that a lot. But as a child, I, my interests and hobbies were really focused around music, and I actually ended up going to undergrad for music, both because I loved it, but a little because I was afraid of doing that, and I didn't want to, you know, I wanted to sort of never regret not exploring that, so I went towards that. But I also have always had a real heart for justice, for social work, for trying to do something to give back. And that was a big thing that my parents really um, instilled in both. I have two older sisters and so um, with all of us. So I think that at that point I went to college, I, I did my undergrad in music. Um, I knew while I was doing that, that wasn't something I really wanted to pursue, but it was sort of a great way to get college, you know, mostly paid for. Um, and I started to really do some work um, doing education and outreach with a local symphony. So I was trying to kind of figure out what could I do within the arts world that was a little bit more focused in the nonprofit sector or getting into the community. And I, I thought about music therapy for a little while and so forth. Um, and then th basically through another contact at another organization, I met someone who worked at AFCPE and I had been doing some of that program management um, in the art space, and it was a really good segue and good opportunity. So I started here about almost 14 years ago now. I've been here for a long time. So arts, finance. Uh, yeah. You know, about the same. <laughs> uh, it's just kind of a funny transition, but it, it makes sense when you tell it that way. Were you apprehensive about jumping into the field? Did you have a background in, in any sort of financial studies at all or I didn't and I think you know as a kid I was always I loved um, English I loved writing I loved anything like that but really certainly would never have said math was something that I enjoyed or working with numbers at all um, and so that was one of the things that sort of surprised me understanding that the field of finance is actually much broader than I had expected it to be um, and so that has really been where there's sort of this social work component to what a lot of our professionals do. It's really founded in the belief that um, economic security is just central to making any kind of social change or helping to um, allow people to even feel like they have choices in their life. And so um, when I was able to see that there was both of my passions really kind of around what I was doing here and could actually be married to that sort of social work, um, social change kind of work, it really became something that I was much more passionate about. I did go back and get a master's in uh, family financial planning and my MBA just to kind of keep expanding my, my learning through the years that I was here. So taking it back to that day one, uh, it was obviously a little bit ago, do you recall what it was like first jumping on board and how you felt about the mission at that point mm -hmm. and then how your career kind of grew and evolved over that time? Yeah, I think when I jumped in, I, I just knew that I had so much to learn. Um, and so I was so sort of soaking it in. And at the time, I took on a lot of different opportunities. Um, I've held 
many different positions within the organization and being a small nonprofit, you know, most people can relate to that. You sort of have to do a lot of different things to keep the organization moving. Um, but the organization is much different today. And I'm really excited about that. We have an excellent team. We have really passionate people. And so um, the mission actually has changed a little bit. It still is rooted very strongly in um, the belief in very high standards, and that was what the, what the organization was really founded to do, was set very high standards for financial counseling, which is sort of the foundation to what we all think about in terms of financial planning or you know financial advice once you have wealth. Um, and so that hasn't really changed, but I think our, our mission and our vision has evolved to be much more inclusive. Our organization's very diverse. Um, we help a, a population that is you know growing in diversity um, across the country. And so that's something I really love about it. What do you think has sparked that growth to uh, become more inclusive? I think there's I think there's an understanding that we have to have more perspectives at the table um, in every discussion and every facet of you know whatever work you're doing. That that we have to make sure that we're operating from a place of understanding situations or experiences that may be different from our own. And when you think about any kind of social service, but in particular when you're working with someone one-on-one, -on -one, like in a counseling environment, um, that's so important. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of things from you know unconscious bias or even just not understanding because I didn't grow up that way or that that's not my particular belief system or whatever it might be. So there's really it really has to be something that's integral to the work that we do in financial counseling because. There's a lot of things that show up at a table if you're working across the table from somebody um, that maybe are not even written down on their spending plan or their budget. And so there's just so much that we all bring. I mean, that's that's sort of what I love about it too is money is so personal, um, which is what makes it hard to talk about and why it's something that I think we have to do a better job as as a country about you know breaking down some of those barriers. But that's also why it's so important that people have really high training and um, a high level of training and also just really understand some of those other cultural things that may be different from the way that they were brought up. Sure, and I think you know it's one of those things that I guess you'd call a privilege. You take it for granted as someone whose parents, like myself, my parents had a budget. They taught mm -hmm. me how to budget, to balance a checkbook, to do the things that you kind of need to do. But if you didn't have someone there to teach you that, it would be kind of hard to learn. That's right. Later in life. So. And a lot, of, a lot of places are not teaching it in school. So if mm -hmm. you didn't have parents to either teach you the right way or even learn from their mistakes in some ways um, with that cushion to sort of fall back on, um, then it can be really tricky for people. And, and it gets to the point where you know you should know this stuff, but then you don't want to ask because, you know, so there, there can be a little bit of that shame um, around it as well. We find that a lot with adults who never were taught that, didn't have good role models in their life, certainly didn't get it through um, their schooling. And so now they're in a position where they just need somebody to help them a little bit to get back on their feet. They know a little bit, but maybe they have some other questions and they're too afraid to ask. So I'm curious to know more in depth in the counseling part in terms of how much of that is a mindset that whether they believe that they can have a certain amount of money or they can achieve a certain amount of wealth because when you grow up in certain environments, I think that you see people um, barely getting by for certain standards of time and maybe you never really reach that next level mm -hmm. mentally to believe like, okay, I can actually have a real career and I don't have to live paycheck to paycheck and, and what that looks like. Um, but before we jump directly into that question, what does the team size look like? I know we were talking a little bit about that. 
So I'm just curious to know how big it is before we go too far. The staff. Mm -hmm. So we have 10 full-time people. We have, um, we do a lot with contractors and other partners that do you know like our IT team is another company that we work with so we do we outsource some of that but our full-time staff is 10 people right now which is big for us because when I started it was like two and a half so <laughs> we've grown quite a bit and then what are some of the positions that people have to have across the organization like uh, the staff is made up of, so it, my position, and then I work with, um, I have three other directors, so they run um, the membership and communication side. Um, there's a director of certification for our credentialing mm -hmm. arm, um, and then I have a director of finance and operations. And then under them, they have a team of people that will help with, we have a, an annual conference, for instance, we have somebody who helps manage that. Um, we have folks who help with special programmings if we do, you know, we have national grant funded projects that we do um, like with the CFPB and some other things that are going on so um, we have folks that work with that and just help to keep our membership going and our certification running and it's a pretty amazing team especially considering we only have 10 people it's kind of amazing the work that that everybody does I'm going to table my question because I know we want to come back to uh, your mentality question, right? You were talking about. <laughs> we're coming back to a tabled question, but we're going to table a question. Again. We're tabling a couple <laughs> questions to come back to Josh's tabled question. Which maybe maybe we, we table both questions. That's amazing if you can keep track of all that. Yeah, I no, know. we've lost Forget it already. It's already I, gone. I, think he's, I think he's going back to my tabled question because he doesn't remember No, I have question my question if at I the want moment. to ask it. Let's table both questions. All right. And I'm curious to hear about what the process looks like from first engagement when somebody starts working with you all the way mm -hmm. through to whatever you guys deem success. Okay. So we, uh, just to be clear to you, our team doesn't actually do financial counseling. So we are actually certifying and supporting the people that do it in the field. Mm -hmm. um, so we're just the national association that supports the field essentially. Um, so the people that are on the ground are financial counselors and coaches. They work in a lot of different areas. So there's a, there's a bunch of people who work with military personnel. Um, there's people who work in a credit union. There's people who work in private practice or in a nonprofit organization. Um, and so really, I think the biggest thing is looking at what the client deems successful. And that's the most important thing is understanding what the client's goals are and not imposing. I mean, that's a thing that I think sets our training and our professionals apart is that they are so highly trained in the competencies around financial, the life cycle of somebody's financial life that when you sit down with them, they're looking at what your goals are, not what they, they they're not going to tell you to do step one, two, and three mm -hmm. if that doesn't fit with where you're trying to go. So a lot of times, though, the, the overall goals are getting out of debt, um, you know, maybe buying a house. They want to try to figure out what can they do to trim down their finances so that they can start saving for a home or a child's education, things like that. Um, or working through a crisis. There might be something else that happens that, you know, even like the government shutdown, we're talking about that a lot right now because that's something a lot of people didn't plan for and certainly wasn't anything that they could control, and now they're finding themselves without a paycheck. So that's a great time for a financial counselor to help kind of work through that crisis and figure out, okay, this is what your situation is, this is what your particular goals are. As the counselor, I may not even really, that may not be a goal of mine, but I want to make sure that you're getting your, creating a plan that works for you and gets you to the goals that you want and oftentimes there are things that happen as a result your credit score might improve or you know there might be some other things that come as a result of that but the main thing is what's the client's goal and then how can you structure a plan so that they're able to to do it as well that it's a realistic plan and they can achieve those outcomes 
And this kind of ties well into my question. So you, with this certification and this sort of thing, are there, I guess, legal requirements behind the certification? Like if you're gonna be certified as a counselor, are there certain processes you have to go through? Is that where you guys step in to take them through those? Like for instance, uh, the only thing I can think of similar in, in the advisory field would be someone like a fiduciary. Mm -hmm. Is there anything like that for counseling? Not so much. We do require, um, you know, so our folks have to sign a code of ethics and they have standards of practice that they have to follow. And there are some guidelines that mm -hmm. create some of those, you know, sort of guardrails to help guide them with clients. Um, they don't handle any, they don't, they don't provide um, any kind of specific guidance. So really what they're doing is educate, financial education through counseling or coaching kind of approach. Um, sometimes they'll do a, a workshop or something like that that really is education-based, but they don't sell any product. That's the big difference between a financial counselor and a financial planner, mm -hmm. um, and that's really where financial planners have to be licensed to sell that product, and there's a lot more regulation around that. Um, our counselors still have to be careful, and you, you want to make sure that that's why you're not providing um, specific advice it's really like here are your options let's help you to understand what this means and then you the, you know it's still client-led so that you're not provide you're not getting yourself into a bad situation mm -hmm. the other thing that, that counselors need to be careful about is mental health advice it's, they're not licensed in that mm -hmm. kind of regard so again they can give you know referrals if they think that there's something that that needs to happen but they they wouldn't be able to address anything like that and where do you signify between counseling and coaching, or do you signify between those two things? Oh, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> um, right now, I mean, there's, there's, coaching is not new, but it's new to the finance field. Mm -hmm. um, coaching's been around for a very long time. What we believe is that as a coach, as a financial coach, it's different than life coaching, where um, if you are meeting with a life coach, they don't really need to know much about your area of expertise. You're coming in and they're really just kind of helping provide accountability and support for what your goals are. As a financial coach, you can imagine there can be some areas where you could do harm if you didn't know the financial background, mm -hmm. right? So we do require, and it's one of the things that sets us apart actually, that you do have to have a financial foundation before you get into the coaching training. Um, but coaching is even more client-led. It is very much about the client saying they have to be ready to take action. That's the other thing. I mean, they're the ones that are gonna be going out and doing the work. So it's not unlike, you know, meeting with a nutritionist and a personal trainer. Um, they will be there to help support you and help you lay out the plan based on what your goals are and what your needs are. And they're going to have that expertise in that field so that if you have a question about something or you get off track, they can provide that expertise and help out. But it's you doing the work. So it's a little bit more client-led in that regard. Um, and counseling can be a little bit more... Um, based on under it can be a little bit more instructive than the coaching engagement but that we could talk for hours about that <laughs> it seems like so you mentioned this was like a recent kind of thing in the finance world what what brought that about you think well I think that there's been I mean I think part of what's shifted is that we have a stigma in the society around getting help mm -hmm. and so no one really wants to say I'm going to a counselor whether that's on your own for your marriage because your finances are in trouble, you know, no one really wants to say that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think part of what has happened is that there are people who think, well, financial coach sounds better, and I'm just gonna say I'm a financial coach. But coaching is a really specific and important technique. 
um, and not everyone's ready to be coached. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, you might think about that in any other aspect of your life. I can go and, you know, go to a marathon training class, but I'm not ready to start training for a marathon. You know what I mean? And so there's that sort of, you've really got to be, that client has to be ready to um, take action to help make the plan. It's, it's a co-created engagement. And so it's much more, um, you're sort of on the same playing field versus I'm up here as the professional and you know I know so much more than you do. The client knows what their goals are. They have the agency within them to, to take action and to make change in their life and you're really just there to help provide that support. So looking forward into the rest of 2019, just getting the year kicked off, and then the next five to 10 years, what do the goals look like for you and your team? Like, what are the big initiatives that you're working on? Yeah, so the big thing that we're working on right now is um, we do have a national program with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which is a national financial coaching program. Um, and that's winding down, but we really want to uh, actually use that as a model because it's been so successful. They've required that all of those coaches get certified with us. Um, and it's just been a huge success. Um, the, the outcomes of that from the client standpoint um, has just been really incredible. So we're looking to work with other partners and funders to continue with that model. Um, we also really exciting towards the end of 2018, I had to think about what year it was, um, we have a new partnership with FEMA. And with the government shutdown, it's been a little delayed, unfortunately, but um, we are gonna be kicking that off as soon as we can get down to DC and start those meetings. And that's really about utilizing our AFC professionals that are all across the country, our accredited financial counselors, um, to be re a resource really in, in a time of need. So if there's a natural disaster, we can use our AFCs to help go right away um, and deploy into those areas and help provide financial counseling. Um, and then we're thinking about doing another program, you know, some sort of training around um, disaster financial preparedness and that sort of thing as well with them. And then just really trying to build out more um, certification and support for people in all areas that may need that type of training. Um, so even beyond the finan financial services industry, but certainly within that, making sure that people who are working with money and helping people get trained, you know, that they really have that highest level of expertise um, and are part of the AFCPE network. So when you reach like a crisis area, something with FEMA, do you have any examples, and since the partnership just started, you might not have any, but in terms of like actual situations that would come out of that on ways that you would help people in those areas? I could imagine, I mean, you show up and somebody might have lost everything, and it's almost like I don't really know where I would start to help someone with that. A lot of times it is just about sitting with them and thinking about what can they do from that crisis point on. Um, and if they've lost everything, it would be about connecting them to local resources to start piecing their life back together. And sometimes it really is just, even with the government shutdown, we're starting to think about like, what are the steps you need to take? And sometimes it's really just, okay, first of all, don't panic. Second of all, let's think about, you know, where you are in the country, what resources are right there. There might be a food pantry you can go to for a little while while you can, you know, put your, divert your money to something else that you really need to pay, like your mortgage. Or So there's different things like that that they'll help sort of problem solve in that crisis moment. Um, and then figuring out any kind of like insurance claim, like who do you need to contact? What are the, you know, your credit cards or any anybody like that that needs to know that you've been impacted and what are those kind of repercussions? So they can help even just with that, just those first few steps to kind of build back up and get your plan going. Is there advice around like insurance companies and things like that? So to know, you know, if I'm trying, I think one of my biggest thoughts if I ran into a situation like that, I wouldn't even know 
the world of insurance in general? Like, well, who do I navigate? Who's responsible for what? Is there any assistance around that area? Or is that still something that you guys are hashing out? Or? We don't. Our, our counselors certainly would have referrals, and they would have their own experience in their own communities around, you know, who they've worked with and that sort of thing that they could certainly refer on to. But that's an area where they're not going to provide. They'll, they'll provide education mm -hmm. about insurance um, in terms of, you know, what's the difference between term and whole life, but they would want to refer on at that point to make sure that they have proper coverage. And that would be a conversation too, just even without a disaster, that's part of your financial picture. So they're not going to necessarily provide the insurance, but they're going to make sure that that's something that you've considered and then here are some resources to refer you to. That makes a lot of sense. Well, Rebecca, what about your own personal goals for the next 35 years? Where do you see yourself? That's a great question. Um, I see myself continuing to do work around closing gaps of inequality. That's one thing I'm really passionate about, in particular the racial wealth gap, um, and looking at why that exists. I mean, we know a lot about from, you know, historically, um, but just what are some best practices that we can start to do, especially as a field, and trying to really push forward in terms of um, thought leadership around our professionals in particular, um, highly trained financial counselors and coaches and educators, to be um, to see themselves as part of the solution because they're on the front lines working with people, many times very vulnerable populations um, and disenfranchised populations, to see themselves um, not only to make sure they get the right kind of training, as we talked about earlier, even things that are you know related to implicit bias and things like that, um, but how can they help individuals establish financial security so that they have choices and can maybe change things that were you know passed down through generation um, just so that they can try to create a better life so I think those are the things that are kind of my biggest passion um, and one thing that I really want to just make sure that we continue to focus on in, in terms of diversity and inclusion for the field and certainly for AFCPE. As you talk about the racial wealth gap like the trend in the United States over the past few years have you seen uh, positive trends upwards and progress made across, I mean, uh, maybe globally, I don't know where your focus is, but is it primarily just here in the U.S., and, mm -hmm. and how, how does that look? It's actually not getting better, um, and so that's what we really want to take a look at is you, you sort of would think, and I think that's a, a big misnomer, is that, like, we've made so many strides in this country in so many ways, um, but when you take a step back and look at the data, it's still pretty bad. Um, and we'd want to, you know, I, I don't want to shoot out numbers without having them um, right at the tip of my fingertips. But um, it's it's pretty bad, and I think that's where we have to we have to take a look at why, especially because of the growth that we've had in this country and a lot of focus through the civil rights movement and things like that. I think we sort of think that these things happen, and then oh, we're better, and we forget about all the things that we still need to do. And so that's. I think we're seeing that in a lot of regards um, today, not just with race, but that's per just happens to be the area I'm probably most passionate about and focused on right now. So um, that is something that I think we have to really take a hard look at ourselves and figure out why is that really not getting any better, despite some of the things that we think um, you know, we've done or the growth that has happened. It's definitely an interesting dynamic to think about. I mean, just like the wealth gap in general in the United States, when you think about the way the economy is trending, we had a couple people from the VC world on here recently where mm -hmm. the talk of more and more companies, you know, stay in private longer, so then it's harder to, as a, as a normal everyday investor, invest your money into certain companies and get returns on them, and how do you plan for retirement, and 
it's just really uh, with technology and everything interesting to see how the economy is going to continue to unfold over the years ahead and then when you throw race into that on top of it that where there's already been a gap over you know a historic period of time um, it's definitely a need where I could see a lot of people needing help in that space mm -hmm. so it's it's interesting yeah, absolutely seems like a great place to kind of pivot towards one of our last questions on the show Rebecca and I'm actually interested because you haven't got to see this question before I ask it so uh, but it's built around the theme of our show, which is live uncomfortably. Okay. And without telling you too much about why Josh and I chose that for conquering Columbus, what do you think of when you hear the phrase? How does it apply to your life and career? I actually love it because I think it sort of in some ways has been my motto growing up. I mentioned earlier I went into music and it was sort of facing my fear a little bit. So that's what I think about. It's, it's living in a way that you're following, almost following your fear as a guiding principle for if I have a choice to make and I'm, I'm a little bit afraid, that's usually how I know it's the right thing I need to do. So I think it's really facing into your fear and not playing small, um, but trying to push through to your full potential. And those are the moments, you know, I, I, I'm not doing anything with music today, but I'm so glad I pushed myself through that because I, I proved to myself I could do it, and then it was a choice I could make, and I learned so much about myself through that process, even though it was difficult. So I think not playing, you know, not taking the easy route or playing small, but trying to really face into fear, and, and that that's usually the way that, you know, our intuition is speaking to us, that that's something that, you know, we need to follow. So I love that, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal that from you and use it from now on. Take it away. <laughs> uh, but, uh, Rebecca, I think that's a great answer and a great place to and the show. We really appreciate you taking the time to join us on the podcast, especially on such short notice. Thank you so much. Yeah, and Conquerors, thanks for tuning in. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that episode. That was Rebecca Wiggins, and she is the Executive Director of the Association for Financial Counseling and Planning Education. You can check all their information out in the show notes if you want to learn more. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you did, Make sure to leave a like, share us on Facebook with your friends. We really appreciate all your support. And every time you share our podcast or leave a review on iTunes, it really does help us out. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here. And that's going to start with FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself become the fastest growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And our last sponsor is Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus. And their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community and Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to join like-minded businesses to raise money for great causes, participate in large-scale volunteer efforts, and improve educational opportunities for youth in our community. To get your small business involved or to learn more, visit smallbizcares.org.
That is small B-I-Z cares dot org. Finally, if you've ever wondered what it takes to start your own podcast, we're here to help. We're putting together a podcast startup package with our recommendations and some of the key lessons we learned over the past two years of podcasting. You can sign up by heading over to our website, conqueringcolumbus.com. And while you're there, don't forget to give us a like on Facebook and be sure to subscribe and share Conquering Columbus wherever you get your podcasts. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.